Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. I am attorney Sean Bigley, and I'm back with my co-host, Lindy Kaiser of clearancejobs.com. We're talking this segment about something that gets very little attention in the security clearance world, and that is the association's questions on the SF-86. And Lindy, I think that is because 99%, if not more, of security clearance applicants just check no automatically. It's not something that is an issue in most people's lives, and it's something that I think people give very little attention to. But that's not to say that there aren't applicants out there who do have concerns about this issue. And when it comes up, it can be a bit of a doozy. So I understand that there was a an applicant recently on clearancejobs.com who raised a question about specifically a motorcycle gang. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, about this time last year, we wrote about a, a Doha case, actually, of somebody who was in an OMG, which is not all the slang that the cool kids are using. It was an outlaw motorcycle gang, which I didn't even know was a, was a legal term. I don't know. And it had his security clearance denied and appealed that appealed a statement of reasons based on his participation in this outlaw motorcycle gang, but was not able to do so. And it was because of that kind of associations issue. And he was actually a member of a local chapter that was probably okay, but they had an association with a national chapter. Again, I, I learned so much and so little at the same time about these outlaw motorcycle gangs because he was a part of a local chapter that maybe was not doing anything nefarious, but it was still had the same kind of name as this national chapter that the FBI was looking into. His association with that outlaw motorcycle gang was enough to deny a security clearance. So I think it just kind of raised a red flag for me to say, like, you might even join a local chapter of something that might not be okay, but you really have to think bigger picture about what the organizations you're joining stand for. You know, even if you're like, hey, is this just a social club for me? I don't really, I don't care, quote unquote, about the, you know, political leanings or bigger issues behind this. That's not really going to hold water for the government. As we frequently talk about in denials, revocations, the government is always going to make the decision based on pursuing its own interests and best interests. And it's not going to really care about your social habits per se. Yeah, it's true. And it's an interesting case. You know, there are basically a few different categories, affiliations, if you will, or or groups that can present problems for folks in the security clearance process. And one of them is exactly what you're referring to, uh, any sort of group or or organization uh, whose mission or, or aim is criminal activity. Frankly, even groups that maybe that's not their mission or their aim, but it's something that is a byproduct of whatever they're doing or something that is really closely affiliated with what they're doing. So I think for most people, that's pretty straightforward. But there are some other groups that maybe aren't as intuitive. And one of them is any sort of organization that is dedicated to depriving others of their civil rights. Any group, for example, KKK or any sort of white supremacy organization or any sort of more militant you know, entities that are focused on these sorts of things are going to present real problems for applicants. And believe it or not, that actually does come up every once in a while in denial and revocation cases where you know somebody is affiliated with an, an ideological group like that and it serves you know to bar them from obtaining a security clearance the other and perhaps most obvious 
example is any sort of a group that espouses the violent overthrow of the U.S. government or terrorism or anything along those lines. And so a common denominator among all this stuff is you know, any organization that uses violence or espouses violence to achieve its goals is really going to be a non-starter. Yeah, knowing the associations there, I think we used to kind of talk about how allegiance to the United States was an adjudicative guideline that we rarely or never saw become an issue. It's an interesting thing. I've seen an uptick in allegiance to the United States, at least flags under continuous vetting. I don't know if those are actually borne out in like denials and revocations yet, but that's worth noting is that I don't know if it's continuous vetting or just you know, the greater prevalence maybe of domestic terrorism organizations within the U.S. I think it's something you you need to be aware, again, of what your associations are and that that is something that the government cares about. And again, I can certainly see it coming up with folks who maybe you're a part of a, an organization in college or have friends that are a part of these organizations and they join it based on a social issue. But again, if it's a part of a bigger issue or somehow gets tagged into some kind of domestic terrorism umbrella, that's going to have, you know, security clearance implications. Not that they couldn't be mitigated if you really are that ignorant. But again, as we can see from just, you know, the outlaw motorcycle gang example, just saying it was a quote unquote social club is not going to be enough. Yeah, it's it's true. And, you know, it brings us to an interesting question here that has come up with some of our clients in the past, and that is where the gray areas are and whether or not certain organizations or involvement in certain organizations is actually reportable under the questions that are on the SF-86. So, you know, there's a couple of things that I would tell anybody who's in a situation like that. The first one is you've got to really think about getting legal advice because this is not something you want to play around with. We have seen cases in the past where people have kind of played fast and loose with these questions and it's resulted in criminal prosecution. And there was a a very um, widely reported case of a gentleman a year or two ago who was affiliated with a very militaristic organization. Uh, I believe they were espousing either white supremacy or some racial animus. And uh, he did not report that on his SF-86 and was subsequently prosecuted when the government found out about it. The second thing is there are some constitutional implications involved in these questions. And if you actually read them carefully, you will notice that the way that the government has written them is very specific, very narrow, very deliberate, where they talk about things like specific intent and other legal terms that, frankly, some lay people may not understand or or may not be able to sort of apply to their specific situation. So again, I mean, these are very rare situations, but they are very serious when they come up. And With the constitutional and other legal implications at play, sometimes folks ask, well, you know, where is that line? You know, can I advocate for this or can I advocate for that? Or maybe the group that I'm joining or I'm a member of is, you know, predominantly focused on, you know, one issue, but they have a a spinoff or, you know, some sort of sub entity that advocates a more violent or radical approach. Those are all very fact specific case-by-case questions. And the reality is, from a legal standpoint, a lot of this stuff is kind of unsettled law. There are gray areas here where, and open questions of the implications and the the interchange between, uh, for example, a First Amendment right to free speech and, and freedom of association versus a security clearance. And 
in many of these cases, what the government winds up saying is, well, you know, security clearance is a privilege, not a right. And we can therefore condition it on just about anything we want to. But there are also situations where they go too far. And so the courts have said, you know, we're going to evaluate these things on a case by case basis while giving a lot of deference to the executive branch on security clearance determinations. Yeah, I mean, it's a caveat that I, you know, that comes up when I'm talking to folks, you know, kind of across the ODNI policy framework. They are very aware that the U.S. has a constitution, which is a unique document. And it's not always the case when you're working with other countries and how they operate their personnel security programs. But there's just things that security policy is cognizant of that, that you have First Amendment rights to speech, to assembly, to be a part of different associations. And so it's just really being aware of where the lines cross. And I should bring up, you know, the OMG case that kind of prompted this conversation. I think a part of the issue was his security officer brought it up to him and said, hey, there's I see actually this this group has ties to the FBI and he didn't disassociate till a year later. Maybe um, maybe his brother was in the club. I don't know. But there is something if your security officer tells you that a group you're a part of is under FBI investigation, even if it's like a broader, maybe you should just cut ties right then and right there. So it, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to this stuff, because I think there's a lot of ambiguity now about a lot of these online groups and forums and participation and, and assembly and what you can and can't do. But when some legal action does end up getting taken on some level, that's where there's no more gray area. And as we often say in these cases, a little bit of common sense and good judgment goes a long way. Nobody expects security clearance holders to be perfect. Nobody expects backgrounds to always be 100% squeaky clean. But you've got to show if you want to have a prayer of winning your case that you act reasonably and responsibly and with good judgment under the circumstances. And so if you are involved in a group or or an organization that, you know, maybe you got involved with them thinking that it was a, a perfectly legitimate group. And then subsequently, as you kind of get deeper into it, you find out eh, there's some parts of this that I'm not real comfortable with. It's not too late to disassociate yourself. And as long as you can demonstrate that once you've discovered what the concern was, you withdrew and you severed your ties, that's not necessarily going to be a bar to getting a clearance as long as it's reasonable what you did. And it was reasonable that you didn't know prior to affiliating. So Again, a lot of this stuff is is common sense and, and good judgment, but when in doubt, uh, seek out uh, the legal guidance, make sure that you are getting your ducks in a row in terms of documentation. If there's things out there that the group that you're joining or part of have published that might lead a reasonable person to believe that their aims are different than what you ultimately found them to be, then that sort of stuff could be valuable evidence. So you really want to hang on to that. Documentation, your key to maintaining, keeping, or obtaining a security clearance. Absolutely. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.